Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, coming to us live for me and not for you, is Alan Woods from Portland, Oregon. Alan is a fellow writer, and he also was the uh, caretaker of my favorite restaurant ever in the history of all restaurants, Eugenio's in Portland, Oregon, which is unfortunately no longer open, but uh, we do share that in common. So, Alan, how's it going? Uh, doing great. Uh, so great to speak with you again. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, you're a very interesting person, and our audience is going to quickly discover that. And uh, I hope it gets captured in the magic of audio here. But before we get into the actual interesting parts about yourself and your opinions, um, I always ask people how old they are, where they were uh, raised, where they grew up, and also what generation you consider yourself to be a member of, if any. Sure. Um, so I'm 38 years old. I was born in um, California, but then spent most of my formative years in Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, um, Miamisburg, Ohio to be exact, um, little town in between um, Dayton and Cincinnati. Um, and then as far as generation, I, I, I love this question. It it's, um, can be polarizing. I, I've ascribed recently to the Xenial, um I don't know if you're familiar with, with that. It's somewhere between um, Generation X and Millennial. I hate that Millennial is used as a as a dirty term through so many people, but um, I remember, you know, the pre-digital age. I was young enough, and because my, my mom worked in the computer space, we had computers very early on. But, you know, I remember dial-up and those prior things that sort of defines Gen X. And then, but then I also have the full experience of the millennial. Um, so I, I consider myself the in-between Gen X and, and millennial. Yeah. And I actually love that term, the Xenial. And I, I also consider myself in that one. So yeah, it's hard. We're, uh, I'm 40, so I'm two years older than you, but it's like, I think people even two years older than me and then up to, I think one year younger than you. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, we kind of experienced both worlds. Um, and so the purpose of this podcast is to explore like what people think about the meaning of life and death and religion. And so since I don't know anything about your upbringing, um, were you raised religiously at all? Um, sort of in adolescence, I guess, later on. So both my, uh, my, my mom and my dad both, um, went from Catholic grade school, uh, to Catholic high school. My mom, um, went to public high school after one of her older brothers, um, they were kicking him out of Catholic school for various reasons. And my uh, grandmother said, if you're taking him out, we're pulling everybody out. So she went to um, Catholic high school. Um, but then they both went to the University of Dayton, which is a Catholic um, college in Dayton there. And that's where they met. Um, so their, you know, their so, sort of whole lives were um, steeped in Catholicism. But when I was born and my sister were born, for whatever reason, um, they didn't start sending us to church until I was in junior high. And I think part of it was to let us make our own decisions. I, I don't know the full story. I haven't really talked to them through that. And I, so I sort of, I guess I considered myself Catholic for a year or two, but then quickly sort of um, pulled myself out of that. My sister still practices and, and goes to church, and I'm actually the godfather uh, to two of her, her sons, um, which I had to have a conversation with her, like, you know, 
I'll, I'll be a godfather, but I'm not necessarily going to, you know, part of that role is supposedly to bring them into the fold and oh, that's not going to happen for me. Um, but so yeah, I'm Catholic roots, but don't consider myself practicing by any stretch of the means. Cool. And that's interesting. Yeah. I've had um, some similar conversations with actually my wife about how we're going to raise our children because we're both culturally like a thousand percent Jewish um, because you can't really like undo that, nor would I want to. But when it comes to like, and I have a feeling we're simpatico on this, I'm not all that into like the organized religion and like, you know, the, the rules and the pressure and stuff. So, but instead of assuming that about you, I am curious, did you have like, this is, pun intended, a come to Jesus moment, or was it just kind of gradual? I think a little, a little bit of both. Um, there, there was a, a, an actual moment um, in, uh, I guess it was in preparation for first communion. Um, you have to go through Sunday school and take all the, you know, take these classes. Um, and I, I question a lot of things, not, not just in, you know, Sunday school, but, you know, Monday through Friday at, at regular school. Um, I, I, I liked asking plenty of questions. And at one point, one of the priests pulled me aside and said, you know, you're asking a lot of questions. I need to know, you know, why are you here? And I, well, because my parents made, or brought me here, they made me be here. And he said, you know, I, I really appreciate it. You know, you keeping these questions sort of to yourself and deciding, you know, if you're here for your parents and that's, and it's just for them, you know, then really not ruining the experience for other people. Um, and then if, you know, if you really don't want to be here, then just remove yourself and deal with your parents. And so I was probably maybe 12 or 13. And I was just like, just keep my mouth shut and go through, you know, go through with this for my parents. But why would I buy into any more of this? If that's, you know, he's supposed to be convincing me that I should be doing these things. And he was just like, just keep your mouth shut and, and we'll get rid of you. So that kind of you know, along, along the way, there's other things that sort of bummed me out about the church, but that was a big one that I was just like, well, okay, I'm, I'm checking out at this point. You know, I, I think there's value in a lot of the teachings of Christianity and Catholicism in general, but I, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be steeped in the sort of dogma and rigmarole that they sort of ensconce upon you. I, that's just, I'd rather sort of pick and choose what fits right and feels right for me than, you know, sort of ascribe to a this giant book, if you will, of things that doesn't necessarily work in a lot of ways. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. And so were you married like in a formal church of, of sorts or did you get married outside? Of it <laughs> so I was, I, we got married in my apartment in Portland. We weren't supposed to invite anybody, but we wound up zooming in my parents and, and her mother um, just as an afterthought. But then my family, very Catholic, very, you know, we, they always have big, big to do's. So I went back to Ohio and had a party there. They insisted on having a priest there. Uh, my wife and I um, have a, are, are not interested in having kids um, for various reasons that we don't need to get into. But the, this priest was so insistent upon when, – so when you have kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, okay, but we're not having kids. And he's like, yeah, 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 but you'll change your mind. And so to the point where when we got up in front of everyone – He's like, and then they'll have a big family. And we're like, we just told you that's not, it's not us. Like, sorry, you know, it's just not us. And they just ins insist that we, well, you'll change your mind, of course, and have kids. Another reason that I don't like the church, like, just leave me alone. I want to make my own decisions. Yeah, seriously. And so I'm working towards our normal question, which is what do you think happens when you die? But I am curious, um, I know you're a writer. Did you go to college for it? Were you like as a, at a young age? Like what, can you describe 
how your personality and being a writer sync together? Sure. Um, I think early on, my, my dad, for reference, um, around the time that I was going, you know, that we were just talking around 12, 14, um, he had been a salesman for a while, but he went back um, to school and got his master's in rhetoric. He had a, his undergrad in, in writing. Um, so he was always sort of encouraging me to read, read, read things. And so I was always enamored with reading and writers as a whole, but didn't necessarily want to study writing. Um, then went to college sort of listless, not really knowing what to do. And then I, I was at Sinclair Community College and there was an ad in the newspaper that said, get paid for writing. And I was like, you know, I, I didn't want to go this route. Just I wanted to be an expert in something and then write about it was my thought back then. Um, but I'd always gotten A's in, you know, in my English classes. So I was like, I'll get paid to write. Okay, I'll do this. So I, I went and answered the ad and it was to be a reporter for the newspaper. Uh, my first story um, was going to watch a, a lecture and writing a story about it. The woman, I, I'm spacing on her name, but it was a, she was a Holocaust survivor and had just had written a book. And I wrote the story and it got published front page above the fold, you know, for all our journalism geeks, that's like a big deal. And it was like an adrenaline rush. I was walking through the hallways of this campus and there was my, my face, you know, on all the little stacks of newspapers. And I was, I was hooked. So I started, started studying communication journalism and then transferred to Ohio state. Um, still, still writing for the newspaper. there, much larger enterprise than the, community college that I was at, um, but then started realizing there was other ways, sort of marketing and, and other ways to make a, actually better money than journalism. So I, st I started going that way and that's kind of how I, I landed in where I'm at. Most of the writing I've done um, has been for uh, ad agencies or larger firms and then some uh, internal, external type communication stuff. So it's far removed from the journalism, though still using a lot of the same skill sets and still a passion to this day. I, I just love it. Cool. Very cool. And um, I think you led me into kind of like stumbling into a cool question that does get into metaphysics and spirituality, which is um, that high you felt that very first time. Um, I also understand that feeling and everyone gets it in something that they do. Do you feel like there's anything like mystical or like important in that feeling? Did that like, do you believe that you have a life purpose or anything like that? I think, yes, I think there is some, higher pool to a calling like that and like you said that high like i think you know some runner i felt it as a runner like runner's high so i think when you are like latching on to something that really like all your cells are into i think there is a sign or if you will something sort of bolt of lightning that lets you know this is this is right keep keep going yeah i love that bolt of lightning that's a cool phrase back to like your upbringing and everything else um did you feel like a bolt of lightning when you met or when you decided to get married? Like, have you had that experience in a non-work situation? Yeah, I, you know, I met my wife, <laughs> um, very Portland-esque, um, during the the naked bike ride. Um, <laughs> I was, um, so maybe she felt the bolt of lightning. I don't know. Um, but, it, but yeah, I, I definitely think there, like you said, it's not, it's not necessarily through work, but there's all sorts of signs, um, that we can follow. And I, beyond coincidence, beyond sort of gut feelings, I think there's, there's something out there or some, something larger than us sort of egging us on. Cool. So, um, 
do you believe that that feeling can also happen when you're not supposed to do something? Yeah. Actually, here's the thing too. You know, I probably have felt it. Maybe I didn't recognize it. That's one thing I was, you know, as I was prepping for this interview with you, I was just thinking of, of different sort of metaphors, how to describe it. And one, one thing I've landed on is, you know, it's like there's radio waves going on across us all, at all times, but you don't really know they're there unless you have the radio on. And even then you have to have it turn, turn to the right station, right? You mean, you know, to, to get clear messages or whatever song you want to hear, you have to sort of dial it in. I think that happens with the, with the, these positive or negative feelings too. You know, you, if you're not paying attention, it's going to go right over your head. That doesn't mean it wasn't there or that someone wasn't trying to uh, speak out to you, but you just weren't in the right frame of mind or right mind space to, to see it or hear it. Well, that's a very cool answer. It's very intelligent. And I can totally see why you're a writer because that is a great extended metaphor. Because, um, you you know, you didn't just say like it's a radio station. You're like, you also have to A, turn it on, B, tune to the right. I mean, it's just cool. I like that. There's a lot of layers to that. And so now I want to jump into the story I've been dying to hear, which is um, you and I both knew a man named Tom. I'm just going to leave his last name out of it. Great, great guy. And he passed away um, sort of suddenly. You said you had a story about him. So Sure. So... But I'm going to go back a little further just because it, to paint some some of the, the early pieces of it. You know, my, we, we talked about the Catholicism of my family. On my dad's side, they're very in tune to the afterlife. They very much think the dead communicates with them through dreams or, um, you know, sends messages to the point where every – my sister's had three kids and every single one of them has been sort of mentioned – to other family members before she's made a full announcement to the family. And they've come to her or my dad and said, I think Morning's pregnant because, you know, aunt so-and-so came to me and said, you know, said so. And my dad's like, no way. And then my sister's like, actually, I am pregnant. But so that, that paints a little bit of a picture. But so my introduction to Eugenio's, um, I moved to the an apartment across the street on July 1st. My dad's birthday is July 4th. And he was at a party in Kentucky and met someone who was from Portland. He told them where I was living. And they, they said, well, he has to go to Eugenio's. It's the best meatball sandwich in town. And so and so my dad call, called me right away and said, OK, you have to go to Eugenio's because it's the best meatball in town, according you know, to this guy at the party in Kentucky. So the following day, July 5th, I went and this is my first experience with Eugene. You know, he's sitting sort of holding court as he would. You know, says, hey, boss, what do you want? I, I get a meatball sandwich. It is the best meatball sandwich in town. And he says, we're, we're, having, we're having a party tonight. Come back. I say, okay. I come back, and it's a bunch of like, elderly people, older, you know, of elevated age. You know, I'm thinking party like kids my age, and I show up because, because it's Tom's birthday. It was Tom's, I think, 75th birthday. And I'm feeling – I get a beer, but I'm feeling so very out of place. I'm like, what am I doing here, you know? But then Tom comes up to me and he starts talking. He starts telling me these stories. He's, you know, this incredible person, the his, his history with the Reekers, you know, his, the, his band had uh, charted on the radio over the Beatles. You know, that was one of his claims to fame for, you know, for one week in, in uh, Ocean City, Maryland, they had charted over the Beatles. He, he had stories. He found out I was a writer. You know, he, we, he talked my ear off uh, to the to the point where he would eventually, you know, it took a little while, but eventually I started working at Eugenio's and he would call. I remember the first time it happened. He called, Tom called Eugenio's, Eugene picked up and he asked for me. And the look on Eugene's face was just 
prices. He's like, who, like, who is this kid, and why is Tom asking for him? But so Tom always had things to share with me. He was always working on marketing things. He had, he made a lot of, uh, I don't know about a lot of money, but he made money writing jingles. And he, he gave me these CDs of jingles that he had. So we had this like ongoing relationship, um, just talking about mostly writing or music and, and stuff like that. Uh, so my, my dad came out, I introduced him to, to Tom. He, my dad was convinced that it was some connection, you know, somewhere because my dad had spent summers in, in Ocean City, Maryland, where Tom, you know, where Tom had gotten whatever fa radio famous. And Tom just shut him down. He's just like, I don't believe in any of that metaphysical, spiritual, like that, that's not my, my pace. That's too hippie or whatever. Completely shut my dad down. My dad was kind of bummed out, but it, it was just, but that was very dumb. He was very matter of fact, that's not happening. You know, that's not a thing I, I trust in or believe in. You mentioned, you know, he went through a sort of quick illness. Um, we knew he was in the hospital. I'm there at Eugenio's um, making meatballs or, or, you know, prepping marinara or whatever the case may be. And the, this big gust of wind comes through and blows their record off the wall. They, we had a Reaper's record on the wall just blow blows it off the wall and it sort of like listfully floats down and, and rests on the table and eugene looked at me and goes there goes tom and i'm getting chills telling you this because less than a moment less than a minute later the phone rang and it was his wife letting us know that he had just passed and we said we know and it's one of those things where i was talking about the you know the radio that's why i was trying to think of the metaphors because tom didn't didn't necessarily believe in that stuff, but I I believe that he was giving a nod or a farewell to Eugenia. So I don't I don't think at all it was towards me. I think it was towards that space. I think it meant a lot to a lot of people and and Eugene himself. But he he said goodbye, and I saw it. That that's one of that's one of the things I point to as evidence that there is some sort of connection. That's very cool. That's wow. Yeah. And also it was just great to walk down memory lane. I actually, uh, I knew about the music and stuff, but I didn't know he made jingles and all that. That's really cool. Okay. So back to you and your opinions. Um, what do you think actually happens when you die? Have you ever considered it? Do you have a strong opinion, a weak opinion? I think about it a lot. Not, maybe not a lot. A lot might not be the right word, but I, I think from a, you know, my my cynical side is always just like, you know, we're worm food. We pass and there's worm food. And I think there is some truth to that because we have these vessels, these bodies that that do there that are worm food or mushroom food. But there is there's that other part of us that our soul or whatever you want to call, give a name to it that has to escape and go somewhere. So I, the short answer is I I don't know, but I I'm convinced that that it, we go somewhere that something happens beyond just being worm food, even if it's just momentarily, like if it's Tom sort of flying over his, his favorite haunts, if you will, and giving a nod. But there has to be something else beyond. One thing I talk about, I've talked about previous too is I hate when people say that someone's wrong with, you know, someone has an opinion about what happens when you're, when you die, you know, I like to think that everybody's right. If you, you know, if you feel strongly that you there's a heaven and a hell and you earn your way there through your actions and deeds here, then that's right for you. And if you think something else, that's okay. And you know, that's right for you. I think everyone is right. Not everyone, not people are wrong 
or closer to right or wrong. I think everyone's right. Okay, so I, I love that. And it's a very, it's something I want to believe in, but I want to test it with just one quick question. What would you do then if someone's theory of what is right is to like mass genocide kill or something like that? Like how, how do you play that line? Yeah, I don't, I'm going to have to think longer on that, I, I think. Because, yeah, I guess there has to be some line of, you stumped, you stumped me, Mike. <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. It's not that there has to be a line. It's more that if there is no line, people who love to have power will, will take that line and then some. And so that's like more about a human condition. So I, I think the way I answer this question is, as I think esoterically speaking, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe genocide actually doesn't matter. Of course it matters here where we're worm food or not worm food. But in your book, just taking it, back a notch what is morality to you because like you clearly do feel that there are morals based on your answer and that's what i'm more interested in is where do you get this peculiar feeling of morality for me personally I, you know i don't do good because i think it's going to help me in some theoretical afterlife i do good because it's the right thing for other people you know a lot of what i talked about and through my family a lot too is this connectivity you know we're all connected whether it's, you know, across the globe or, you know, across town, we're all symbiotic to this, the, the human race and we, and, and the earth itself. I, so I take a more, I, I make my decisions based on taking care of what we have while we're here more than I do what might happen in the next step. That's very cool. And so I'm just curious because, uh, I can tell we share like a very similar mindset and heart. Uh, what, what do you get labeled as? Hippie. Yeah. Okay. Hippie. All right. Cool. And so I'm curious because you're from Ohio. I believe you went to Ohio State. Is that right? I did. Yes. I mean, I've been to Dayton and I've been to the Ohio State. It's there's not a lot of hippies out there. So was it like were you ostracized at all growing up, or was it pretty natural? I think to some extent. I, w I wouldn't say ostracized seems a little tough, but yeah. I mean, I, I always joke too. When I was growing up in Ohio, I considered myself a, a leftist, and then I moved to Portland and realized I was a moderate. You know, like, but yeah, to some extent it was, you know, it was kind of like, oh, when, and when I was moving to Portland, it's like, there it goes out, you know, there it goes Alan trying to find, you know, find some of his people or whatever it is. But I tend to flock to those types of people. You'd be, you know, I mean, there's a, a, quite a few people from Ohio that live out here that I know and were of same similar tact. A lot of the people that are similar tact to me don't live in Ohio anymore, certainly not in Miamisburg. So I sort of sought out places where I can find more like-minded people. That's cool. And so how do you feel these days about the connectivity and symbioticness of humanity? Because I feel as strongly as I ever have about it, but I also feel like it's being called into question constantly. How are you reconciling with that? How are you dealing with that? Wow. It's frustrating. I mean, I'm not going to mention any specifics, but just this, the current world situation, it is kind of strange to see how selfish people can be in it's frustrating. It really does. It makes me, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to choke up right now, just on speaking on some, on something, but it's just, it's frustrating to see people, you know, not look at the greater good or the, the common whole that we all are and, and really just dig in their heels and try to entrench themselves and only better themselves is frustrating. And I, I mean, I'm, I don't know that there's a good answer because I'm, you know, I'm just doing what I do. I feel good about myself, but by no means am I, uh, well-to-do or, you know, I struggle in my own ways. I don't know that I want to put that aside and become some evil overlord or something. I don't know. I, I just, I just watched, uh, 
uh, Shang-Chi and the ten, ten Rings. So now I've got these like evil uh, super villains in my head. But yeah, it's just, it's so strange to me that people can't see the connectivity because it comes so freely to me. Yeah. Wow, man. We're, we're very similar and it's been great talking to you. Well, you know, Mike, you know, what's funny when, when I worked at, when I first started working at Eugene's or started hanging out in the crew, everyone was like, Alan, you've got to talk to this Mike. You know, he's, he, you guys are the same, you know, you'll, you'd hit it off. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Mike, whatever. And then when we finally did meet, I was like, oh yeah, of course. That's why they, that's why they wanted us to hang out because we do take similar, <laughs> we, we talk a lot about the same things. Totally. No, I had the same reaction. And that's why when you uh, hit me up, I was like really happy and I was definitely excited to interview you. And I'm running out of time, but I do have like a lot of questions. So I'm going to try to... Um... Let's go rapid fire. All right, cool. So rapid fire questions. Number one, have you ever had an experience with being visited in a dream? Yes. Um, I think that's just big with my family, like I said. And I think, again, I, I just look out for it a little bit. So I think I think that's why it's, it's able to, it's happened to me before. And um, do you have a definition that you'd be willing to offer for what evil is? Cause you use that word and I'm always curious about how people use it. I guess, I mean, when I think of it mostly, it, it really is just ignoring the common good and, and focusing on pers personal gain and putting aside the, the common good. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is mostly is focusing on self more than others. And then this is the most random question. One of the things that I always think about with morality is suicide because I've been close to a few people who have, and I always think that people judge it very harshly and there's like a really awkwardness to it. Now, the reason I'm asking you specifically, I don't know anything about you or your family history, but I do know that Catholicism has like a very strict rule against it. And so I'm just curious uh, how you view suicide as like a, uh, option so to speak is it an option in your opinion um I, i'm glad you brought the call catholicism too because my dad is always you know it's never it was always never an option and it's a terrible idea um but then you start thinking about what is the conscientious if you're in a bad way you can legally doctor could work in yourself for lack of a better explanation i feel like a lot of the moral objections to suicide are trying to make sense in something that that people can't make sense of so they're they're trying to say it's bad because they don't really they don't understand it versus trying to figure out what struggles you have it's such a touchy subject i you know i was reading recently like one of the reasons why they they made it illegal is so that police can intervene um in situations where self-harm is happening I, I just don't know i i don't fault i guess i don't fault anyone for for thinking that that's their their only option so I don't, so I, I don't see it as as negative as someone like my father or Catholicism paints it. I, don't, I obviously I don't think it's a good idea or it's a great thing, but I don't fault anyone for finding themselves in a place where they don't they don't see any better light. I don't know how else to say it. No, no, that was good and that was intelligent. And also, you're doing awesome on my rapid. I've never done this rapid fire thing. So my last rapid fire question related to your answer about suicide: like, do you feel that life is like a gift? Like, do you feel like there's a specialness to this human life in particular? I would say yes. I mean, if you look at all the other forms of of life out there, they're all unique in their own ways. But the human, you know, we have such such a great opportunity. Uh, I, don't, I think we're squandering it a little bit, this gift, but um, that's a topic for another podcast, I think. But yeah, I think it is a gift and it, it is a little bit unique in that way. We, I, I don't know, you know, they haven't really found other beings that sort of think the way we do or contemplate. No one else, you know, no one else is out there 
having podcasts talking about what happens after them. They're sort of, you know, the squid are out there squidding and the ants are out there anting. No one's really sitting around contemplating what, you know, this larger pictures. So yeah, I think it is a gift and I wish we would use it better as a whole. That's awesome. Alan, you have a beautiful f***ing mind. And I know we said you weren't going to swear on this podcast, but... Um, okay, well, I always, always, always want to give my guests the floor. So if there's anything you want to say, anything you want to speak, uh, let it out. I just think, you know, I, I, I touched on earlier is, you know, having... If you're open to these sorts of ideas, being open to them is the only way you're going to experience or see, see other things. So just having an open mind, um, whether you're a believer or non-believer, um, will help, I think, help you see maybe threads you didn't notice before, find radio stations to continue the metaphor that you didn't know were out there. And maybe, maybe sometimes just press scan and let things go, you know, let, let, let things find you. That, no, no soapbox for me, just that. I think people should be a little more open to each other, to each other's opinions. That is awesome. And I think you are officially the closest thing we've had to a truly agnostic uh, guest on the show, which is awesome because I'm always trying to collect the full assortment of opinions you can have. So Alan Woods from Portland, Oregon, originally from Ohio. Thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin. Once again, everyone, you have been listening to Coffin Talk, interviews with the living. And my name is Mike Oppenheim, and we will see you soon. Walking alone when I walk into you And I see that you see me And I see your heavens too And I feel that you're near me And I see you walk